Hello, everyone, and welcome to Euphoria World's Edition, Episode 4. We are recording this immediately following the G2 victory over Gen G. Spoilers if you haven't watched the game yet. That's what happened. Sorry, probably should have warned you about the spoilers first, but I trust if you're watching this, you've already checked out the games. Uh, anyway, we're available, as always, on YouTube, I, Apple Podcasts, not iTunes, it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Um, so look for us there. If you're watching on one platform and you prefer a different platform, feel free to head over. I'm Dracos, as always, joined by Frost Gurren. Hello. And today, and today we've got a full docket. We've got uh, four different quarterfinal matchups to talk about. we got semifinals to look at. we got an interview with Perks, where he says a lot of juicy stuff, folks, that I'm looking forward to share with you. But to kick things off, Frosco, I just kind of want to talk generally. I think coming out of groups, right, people were like, ah, groups. Maybe not the best year for groups, but quarterfinals. Quarterfinals are going to be a banger. Now, don't get me wrong. One of the quarterfinals, while ultimately sad for us, was a banger. The other three, I'm going to say a little resident sleeper, a little boring. I feel like quarterfinals did not deliver in the way that people wanted them to. What do you think? Hmm, that's interesting. As I back up and look at them all. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we've had two three O's, a three one, and then only one went to all five game series. But I also don't think that you have to go to five games to have like good quarterfinals. That's true. Hmm. And I don't think that you could change this out and like put a different team in here. You know, like if a group was super stacked and then feel that you got, you know, a much better, like I'm looking over the groups. I'm like, you know, I'm not slotting LGD in here. I'm not slotting yeah. uh, Team Liquid yeah. in here. So, hmm. Nah, I, I feel okay about it. The one that really caught me off guard was, of course, the Sooning versus JDG one. And I think the overall storyline of that one is actually really cool. So even though it was a 3-1 to Sooning where um, I really would have loved to see JDG make a deep run, then I'm, like, excited to see Sooning find themselves at a world championship. Like, how often does that happen? That's so cool when a team plays their absolute best when it most matters. Um, but outside of that, I'm like... I never thought Jinji were a good team. I was really shocked to see people predict for Jinji and like speak so highly of them. I was like, clearly they know something. You've, you have definitely been on that. I don't want to call you a hater. I think people <laughs> would probably characterize you as a hater, but I don't think that's fair. I think you've been a big believer in DRX and you've been annoyed that people keep letting... Other, or Danwon, rather, of Danwon. Sorry, too many Ds. Been a big fan of Danwon and I think that... Um, it seems like everyone has been eager to look at Danwon and go, all of Korea. <laughs> Let's ride those Danwon gaming coattails, baby, just like the SKT of old, you know? And uh, it definitely didn't come true, right? Like, ultimately, I think that this was kind of a disappointing quarterfinals for Korea. I also think the thing that sucks about this draw, right, and that maybe needs to be reevaluated for future formats. Reminder, even though I work for Ride, I don't really have a say in a lot of these things, although I can give this Are you saying that you don't make the world format? I don't do everything. I wish I did. Uh, I wouldn't want to deal with all the, you know, the backlash from me doing everything. I'd love to design some champions. They'd be terrible, horribly broken. Would love to design some formats. They'd have obvious flaws and would probably be terrible too. But Radius and I did help give feedback on the LEC playoff format. That's dope. Yeah. That's sick. I've given feedback. I think I gave feedback on an MSI format, on a tentative MSI format mm. that never saw the light of day. Um, so uh, maybe my feedback wasn't super useful. Is it's <laughs> all what it comes down to. But I think the thing that sucks here is that while it was cool last week because we were like, hell yeah, Fnatic on the LPL side of the bracket, they've beaten LPL teams. G2 on the LCK side of the bracket, I think the thing that kind of got realized, if it wasn't realized immediately, was watching Sooning and JDG felt like it had some meaning because it was cool because it was a match that people hadn't hadn't seen and obviously has a lot of domestic history and impact with like the e-commerce wars but like Danwon Gaming DRX was like oh god 
that was like the one of the worst domestic finals to watch. If you did not see it, there were a lot of cool moments. Final game, or game three, like Showmaker gets like a quadra kill on a collie. So there are some pop-off moments for sure. But that was like 2019 G2 finals, the first one. Not the not the Fnatic G2 full five games, like the, the 3-0 over Origin, just the instant white set aside. It was like, imagine watching that as your world's quarterfinals. Imagine watching the Origin versus G2 rematch from spring 2019. And that's that's was, what Korean fans got. It didn't even look like, like it didn't really showcase how powerful Damwon could be because DRX didn't even show up. They just like sat in the parking lot and watched from afar. Yeah. And you didn't even get to see, you know, the first LCKC look so dominant. But kind of back to the previous conversation, you know, I just think it's really important to separate and we talked about this on previous episodes. There was a really long post in the comments about it that I'm going to be really honest. I got like two sentences in. I was like, I don't have time for this <laughs> and disengage from. But uh, people always like seem to come back at me and be and say like when I say that, they're like, but, you know, that's the same thing for the LEC. You know, there's G2 and there's like a massive gap. And I was like, but no one is saying that the LEC is like, you know, X, Y, and Z people. In fact, I think I've said that. I explicitly have said on broadcast before there was a gap and G2 gapped it and it wasn't necessary for the rest of the of the other uh, European seeds but that doesn't seem to be true for LCK people are like oh yes LCK dominance LCK dominance and they get all their teams out of group like yep here we go again and I'm like mm, I don't think so I don't think that the the LCK is as strong as people perceive it to be still mm. and I don't know why it's almost like a leftover um like residue from the old Monte Cristo and Doa days. And like, do not get me wrong, Monte and Doa, phenomenal casters. I, when I was trying to learn how to be a caster, I listened to a lot of their casts, really sure. loved their style, but um, very strong narrative casters. Papa Smithy, also an incredibly strong narrative caster. WWE is his jam. If you asked him, he would probably admit that he was a narrative caster. We talked to Atlas on uh, After Dark. Yeah, about and he how was like, Papa Smithy was the king of narrative. <laughs> he's the ultimate narrative caster. But it's just created this narrative for the LCK that they're just like, no matter what happens, it's like the macro genius. And don't get me wrong, LCK has had a lot of macro geniuses teams. And there is some truth to that. But people will like just blindly disregard just objectively bad plays and be like, yes, the macro genius, this is still the height that it holds up to. And I just think that 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 skew is really interesting and this is kind of the big question mark that i think we talked about in the first episode of euphoria going into this is that the lck teams they handshake on everything they have like a, a rule book and they expect you to follow it and i think Gen G versus g2 really showed what happened when you take that rule book and you just throw it out the window like lck teams when they face each other they're like yeah, I have control of this dragon. There's no way this guy's gonna, oh my God, he came in. Like, what, <laughs> what is he doing here? And then they they don't know how to react and they get slapped down. And I'm not gonna say that this is what's gonna happen to Damwon because I do think that they're a different- They're kind of the exception to the rule, right? They're a different animal, mm. but um, I don't know. I just, I remember really vividly watching a game with Mon, I think it was when Monty was casting it and there was like a bard. No, it was Papa Smithy. There was a bard that made a play and it was just like the most int play I'd ever seen. And just like hearing the caster pop off about how talented this bard play was. And I was like, this is it. I'm being brainwashed right before my eyes right now to, to believe. And it, it leaks over, you know, every year top 20 lists come out. And I had that whole spiel that I did on broadcast uh, for the... Uh, top versus fanatic game where I was like at the end of the day I just want people to like give respect to the western players at this point because uh, I don't think it's true anymore to just have you know a top 20 where all 10 players 
in the top 10 are like a single Western player. It's usually Caps. And then, you know, also, Nuguri, Showmaker, Chovy, yeah. uh, Canyon, Jakulov, uh, Karsa. And that's not a slight on those players. But, you know, people really thought that there was going to be like big gaps between Jakulov and Reckless. And that was... They weren't the gaps that they expected, Well, someone were they? got gapped. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, uh, yeah, I think that the interesting thing to kind of put a button into this about, especially about pre-worlds analysis and cross-regional analysis, is you're always kind of grasping at straws because the only tape that really matters are teams against teams. But people will speculate based on what they've seen domestically all the time. And it's and it's literally all there is available. So there's nothing wrong with it. The only time it really becomes an issue is when you like really try to hard force conclusions. Because at the end of the day, it's yes, you can make some assumptions. Yes, you can look at the way League of Legends is played. You can say this team has these fundamentals, this team doesn't. But then at the same time, until you actually see the teams playing against each other, it's really hard to be certain what the result will be. And I think that's part of the reason why for a long time the LPL was underestimated because you watch LPL games and it's like, wow, look at this fiesta. Everybody's just in a fiesta. But as we've learned and as you've since said, you know, ad nauseum, you don't get to not fight. There's a genius to it. And the thing was, is for the longest time, and I actually called out Vettius on Brockus the other day when he was like, I know the violence, I know the fighting. Because I know what he's saying. Like, yeah, those things are true, but both things can be true at the same time. There's the fiesta, there's the violence, there's the fighting, but there's also a beauty and a grace and a genius and a power to it. And again, it's like one of those brainwashed stereotypes of fighting, fiesta equals bad, no kills, smooth macro play yeah. equals good. I don't think it's, I don't, maybe maybe there is like this lingering thing. I don't know if it's fair to call it brainwashing. Maybe there is this lingering thing, right? And this like lingering belief that that's like the way that the game should be played. Because definitely I held on to it. And that was kind of, I think that wasn't like, that was like they're... everyone held on to that belief. And it's a product of Korea playing that way, doing these handshake plays that you're talking about, being very tactical, there being so much vision in the game. But I think the thing that really rings true to me about that whole thing is that um, people look for the simple answers. And watching a clean game with low kills, where people don't fight over objectives, where it looks like they shouldn't fight, where it doesn't come down to individual mechanical outplays, is easy to understand as clean or good League of Legends. But clean League of Legends isn't good League of Legends, in my opinion. It can be, but it doesn't like clean doesn't mean good, right? Sometimes clean means actually very bad. Sometimes it means one team is just throwing away what could be good fights for them. And I think that in the same way that people love really simple pick ban analysis, the same way that people like to chalk like game five, was it Jensen Zanya in NA, right? Like the people look at like these single moments and these single points in time that are easy to identify, that are easy to communicate, and they hold on to them because it's so much easier than getting into the nitty gritty of the constant complex conversation that is what actually went wrong where did it actually go wrong where did they actually miss the opportunity because the other tough thing is is that it's not most of the time the reason the game was lost isn't sexy right it's like when we look back at um the drx series we look at deft like tanks one leona e at level two i don't think we had camera on it at that time i don't know if we can walk check back and watch the profile loses all lane pressure because he has to blow both summoners jungler gets a level advantage and they never take their foot off the pedal from day one gaming and then the game is just over and that's literally it. you want to know where the game was lost yeah there are other moments where you could have argued they could have come back but that is moment one where the game was lost that is mistake number one that turned and threw the game away and it's not as sexy as you know this quadra kill out player this guy being the a big Lilia brain got the five it's, man yeah, sleep and no one followed up. <laughs> it's literally as simple as deft step forward when he shouldn't have and got absolutely bopped you know, and that's and that's and that sucks and that's tough. And that's kind of the thing that I think is hard is it's like sometimes I think. But it, here's my other thing. It's like no one will play a perfect game either. 
everyone will always make mistakes. And I sure. don't think that that doesn't mean, because Vettis, Ender, and I have this conversation all the time. When we are trying to improve our color casting and trying to figure out how to evaluate teams, there has to be a consensus on what the perfect or best or most optimal play is. And then like the different metrics of defining it. Mm. And let's take Ben, for example, on his gangplank flank, because we've talked about it a little bit. And I think that one will really stick out to people. For those of you who didn't watch this, it's the Sooning tiebreaker versus G2. You, If you haven't watched the game, you've certainly seen the play. This has been finding the barrel, the uh, flash back in to finish the job. It was disgusting, and it hurt us all on a very personal level. <laughs> and I've talked to you, Yamato, Vettius, Ender, and everyone I've talked to comes to like the same consensus, which was they had Sooning, had Baron, Ben was topside, and he had a clear pathway into the base, and there was a fight over Elder. And at that current game state g2 had actually stalled out the game long enough that Sinnoh was a competitive 5v5 threat so depending on how the execution of the fight would go off g2 could actually now win a 5v5 whereas previously mm -hmm. sooning had such a strong lead that uh, g2 would have gotten absolutely blasted in every 5v5 so to me it's like okay if it's it's a fair 5v5 yeah sooning have just as much of chance of winning that as g2 now or sooning have cross map pressure they have Baron, they can stall out the elder fight, not flip it on a fight with G2 at this point in the game, and actually just play with their gangplank pressure and win the game that way. And instead, they choose to TP into the fight. Bin comes up along the side, doing what a gang, what you don't expect a gangplank to do, and just annihilates G2. And like that's a clutch play. That's an amazing play. And it's not necessarily a bad play, but it's not the most optimal play. It's risk versus reward. That mm -hmm. was a very high reward for a very high risk. Maybe you can even make an argument that it's a medium risk play, but there was risk involved. Yeah. Whereas if you did the other one, there's almost no risk involved in the other play. Maybe you go on and you have like a longer discussion about, you know, if the game continues to get stalled out because if he just trades a single inhib, but they have higher back timers, you can stall them out. Like the thing is, as I actually think there's no risk involved if he actually pressures topside instead of TPing into the fight because then G2 have to either dance on the Elder or lose their entire base to a super fed gangplank that will blast through their base. And if they disengage to go stop the gangplank, then uh, the Elder Drake is free for Sooning and then suddenly that 50-50 between the team fights is skewed much heavily towards Sooning. So this is like what we, what we gauge to do. And it's like that. That is the epitome. You have to have what uh, the optimal play is. So then you can start gauging players and teams of how close they get to that optimal play. And then also seeing when they choose not to do things, like when Ben chooses to go for that fight, which Sooning do all the time. Now I have a list of the tendencies that Sooning have. And then when I'm making my analysis of Sooning, I can say super high highs, very volatile. Yeah. Because in a different world, Senna sees that gangplank coming, turns in two shots. And, exactly. That's 140 stack Senna. Oh, and then suddenly Ben looks like a fool. And then that's what people remember. But... I don't know. No, I think that the thing is about it and kind of any when it comes to learning any subject at all, like when you're studying in school, especially for, let's say, more creative subjects and things that are less objective, not, you know, like math and science, right? Things that are more like writing, et cetera. Like you learn the rules so that you can eventually break, break the rules them. and understand that. And I think that's also the difficulty of, of coming into this world and especially this era of League of Legends is that the, the quote-unquote rule book of League of Legends, pretty much as written by Korea for the most part yep. in history, let's be honest, um, is now being broken and redefined and kind of tested constantly by a lot of the best teams. And as a result, it's not as simple anymore as this wasn't 
you know, the optimal play. This wasn't the the lowest risk to highest reward. This wasn't the min-max play, so this is the wrong play. You need. I think that it is just much harder to do analysis these days because you need to look at um, so much more than just A, the result, or B, like all of the all of the expected options. I think you have to go much deeper than that. And I think that is the struggle. And I think at the end of the day, it's just like, that's why you're, you get to be an analyst is because you have to interpret it. But the other thing is, is because there's room for interpretation is because it's not black and white, um, like it might have been in a world where people could buy a million freaking wards and, you know, could see the entire map at all times. Uh, it does mean that there's also so much more room for, for discourse, which is cool, but there's also so much more room for, I think, um, conflict, let's say, uh, uninformed opinions at worst. But it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to navigate. That said, I want to shift away since we're already kind of we're not feeling necessarily the hype at this exact moment, so let's let's talk about the other kind of bittersweet topic on the table, and that is Fnatic losing to top esports. Now, if you missed this game, if you're watching if you're watching this without watching that series, I'm so sorry because you've done yourself a disservice. It's also your fault because you ob- obviously this podcast is going to be full of spoilers. Let me tell you, no one who's listening to this podcast hasn't watched that game. I'm going to go God out bless. and say that that's a, a hundred percent prediction rate. There. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it says Euphoria behind us, and that is because this is Euphoria. And ultimately, if you're sad about Fnatic losing, like you have every right to be, if you're angry about Fnatic losing, just like check yourself a little bit because I still think they played a fantastic series. But this was, for the first two games, so beautiful to watch as a fan. Because we said the evening before, we're on Worlds After Dark, the other show that we do, and I'm like, there's like, we're like, it's it's like 30% if all of Fnatic show up on the day. It's like maybe 30% chance, which are shit odds, team. If you are at home, like 30%, including the factor that every single person on your team has to show up and play flawlessly, those are not favorable odds. For whatever Fnatic. reason, I was told that 30% was high. I was like, well, I think that's pretty, pretty low. <laughs> pretty low. Pretty low. And also, again, assuming that everyone shows up on the day. But that said, came into the day, I was like, but you know what? Like, let's get on Twitter. Let's get the let's get this rally because we are EU. I'm not casting. I'm not on desk. I don't have to be anything other than a fan today. So I was the biggest fan ever. And then they started winning. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest feeling of all time. And then... It happened for the first time in world's history. A the, reverse sweep. The reverse sweep for Top. And on the one hand, congrats to Top, showing us that they are a formidable world-class team, that they will not just break under the pressure, that Jackie Love, despite getting absolutely bodied so many games in a row, still was able to find a couple of uh, sick outplays, was still able to kind of make his presence felt on the map. So obviously congrats to Top. But on the inverse, this is goodbye to Fnatic. And um, a tough way to watch them go. I think one that... If it was a 3-1 and there were some close games, but Top was clearly the better team, I think it wouldn't have hurt as much because it felt so within reach for them to win. So I'm torn between would I have rather seen a bit more of a top favorite series so my hopes were never up, right? Or is it <laughs> is it cool that ultimately like that there's going to be even more rage at Fnatic because people felt like it was within their reach and they threw it away, you know, or that they let the series get away from them? I don't know. It was it was I an mean... intense series. Game four was definitely Fanatics to lose, and it was yeah. at, I think, nine minutes and 30 seconds, which is where uh, Knight roamed down on the Jace, because I was just re-watching it, because as soon as the bot dive comes in for Fnatic, I think it's like seven, eight minutes in that game, and Fnatic have like a 2k lead. It is absurdly over. <laughs> bot lane is yep. getting bodied again. Um, Graves get so fed. 
And then on the reset, there is a fanatic ward on Karsa's raptor camp, which is the top side raptor camp. Self-made is on, I believe, his Gromp or his Wolves. He's top side map. And Nemesis and Hilly are looking for a flank bot side with the idea that the set is going to run in, the Galia will jump on top of them, and that Fnatic think that they have a 3v2. But the thing is, is that with Fnatic's vision on Raptor Camp and Krug Camp not being spawned, you need to assume that Karsa is probably bot side jungle mm -hmm. and looking to uh, trade map because self-made's Raptor Camps are up. And so I don't know what it was if people just were getting too hyphy if it was we're going to do this play what i assume is is that fanatic members were focusing on what the play they wanted to do and not necessarily accounting for where top would be and then got punished so hard jace gets a massive shutdown on that multiple kills uh Karsa, brilliant itemization he goes for the roa that game on the nidalee knowing that he needs to have the uh, tanky stats or the yep. added health so that he can jump in and skirmish he went absolutely god mode that game is that the game where he went lich bane next or Athene's next because there were there were a couple Karsa games that were insane on Nidalee for multiple reasons. There's the one game where he got Athenes and made sure that literally Ruler would get caught every fight but could not die because Fnatic just did not have enough damage. It was one of the games where Fnatic... Well, actually, probably was game four where Fnatic had only Galio as their magic damage. A game four was the game that Fnatic had within their grasp yeah and then it all just got so ripped away because of Fnatic, in my opinion, and again, open for interpretation. I'm sure plenty of people will be willing to tell me that... Uh, you know, it was top esports, but I feel like Fnatic misplayed and top esports were good enough to catch and punish. Yep. But I felt that game four is a very different beast than game three and game five, where top esports just absolutely blasted Fnatic. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. it wasn't both teams were playing well and one team played better. It was uh, both teams were playing well. And then Fnatic made blunder after blunder after blunder after blunder. And top were like, thank you, thank you, thank you, smash, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and if you guys want more context on the series, there are press conferences happening. And um, Travis Gafford and I think a few other people are doing a really good job of kind of recording those and putting those out into the world. I'm um, pretty sure Riot is not releasing anything. So if you want to check out um, Travis Gafford, he he had both the press conferences for both the winning and losing teams. And it was and it was interesting to hear and it was tough to hear because, one, we got a little bit of like really basic insight. Why did Scion get banned? You know, was this an issue? And Whippo actually felt fine about it, but it was Hilla saying it was like, I don't want to deal with this shit. <laughs> like, do not let them have this champion. So they banned it way you know and that's what that's from them but the other insight that we heard that was like honestly really sad in this moment where you know everyone in europe if you're a european fan you've just been on this entire emotional roller coaster and most of you probably missed this press conference but if you saw it uh, it was clipped out it was all over twitter as well and um you know reckless kind of talking about how he thinks they played really well today he thinks they played incredible him and Haley on the same page you know he's really proud of how they did but he also feels like no one will remember this that this is just like who cares you know reckless what I mean? people will remember this give us the bot diff graphic phil show them the bot diff because this was bot diff this was bot kingdom in a world where pretty much all of our world's runs have been decided by caps's mid diff let's be honest he's the hero uh in our little anime arc this was bot diff this was hillisang and reckless this was jackie love getting absolutely well Yanja really getting <laughs> actually yeah to be fair jackie love didn't play fantastically definitely eat forward a bit more than he should have but Yanja, uncharacteristic series if we want to like put the analytical hat on i think Yanja just had a bad day but at the same time fanatic punished so beautifully they literally had to go to ezreal karma the most like yeah i'm sorry if you play ezreal karma 
They were like, you have no spine. I need a medic. We need to stabilize this. Yeah. Ezreal Karma. Because they were playing Senna Kench and they were getting absolutely torn asunder. Asunder? Asunder? They were getting torn in half. (laughs) Medic said that a bunch today. Now it's stuck in your head, right? Um, Yeah, they were torn asunder. (laughs) If, again, like, and this is the thing that I want people to take away is that ultimately, like, anytime these series ends, we have wonderful fans in Europe and in in the extremeness of the fandom, comes in two flavors. It can get really toxic and can get really positive. And I saw a lot of positive yesterday, but there's also a lot of toxicity. But I think the thing that I want people to walk away with is that Reckless and Hillisang are a goddamn world-class bot lane. They deserve that respect and they played a fantastic series. And I do not want us to forget it. And people have brought up Misfits versus SKT and I want to remember this in the same way where it's like we have on many occasions as Europe, as the LEC for Misfits for Fnatic in both these cases come so close to beating unbeatable teams and just because sometimes those teams have become beaten later and in the future skt has been beaten by g2 multiple times now does not make that moment in history any less significant because if this had been a win for Fnatic, it would have been because of reckless and hillisang and it would have been probably the biggest upset in the last three years of competitive league of legends in terms of international i I, domestic i feel like has just counted lower but i don't i don't watch every league closely so i can't say with 100 certainty it was a it was sad I, uh, there's a really good, if you guys haven't seen it, I did talk about it on broadcast. There's a really good video that Kelsey Moser released where she talks about the G2 versus RNG, uh, best of five when G2 beat RNG in the semifinals or quarterfinals, was it? Quarterfinals and then lost to IG, I believe, in the semifinals. The quarterfinals. Um, and the basic, the, the thesis of it is, is that RNG had a team that were super meta resistant. Um, the meta had changed away from them, but they continued to play their style. And so it was kind of like a perfect storm for G2 to usurp uh, RNG. And in the comparison to uh, Top versus Fnatic, it was kind of a similar trend. You know, Top uh, play a style that, while it did work for them on the day, in fact, when they found their 3 0 in the back half, it's because they reverted back to their style of Karsa just literally throwing his body at his laners. Yep. It wasn't a style that we've seen be as dominant comparatively to playing the hard jungle style, which will be really interesting because now you have Sooning versus Top, where you have one team who is absolutely literally the opposite. Like the, all the <laughs> if, if if it's not for SOFM, you're you're de- like you need him. He has to pop off. He, if he ganks a lane, you're like, what are you doing? Get back in your jungle. <laughs> so I find it really really fascinating um, to see if like Top are good enough that they can just you know, break the meta, if you yeah. will, that they don't have to play the all resources into Karsa and instead can use Karsa to f- continue to facilitate their superstar laners in 369, Knight, and uh, Jackie Love. But um, Fnatic gave them a good run for their money. They absolutely did. <laughs> that was, there's a feeling that you're going to get, and I know you guys love analysis, but I'm just going to share this because this was a really emotional series for me as an EU fan watching. And there's this feeling that I like, I'm just going to call it euphoria. That's really what it feels like, euphoria, right? Just this like absolute pride and this rush that I very rarely get to experience as a commentator. Because, you know, most, most of the time I'm commenting LEC and I'm trying to be impartial. I'm trying to be unbiased. But in Worlds, when I'm not casting, there's these series and there's these weeks where I really just get to be a fan. And this was such a, even though it was ultimately heartbreaking, this was such a great day to be a fan. Like those first two games, I felt alive. My neighbor was knocking on my door like it's like, dude, he's like, it's like 1 p.m. Why are you screaming? Like we're all working from home. What is that? Like what are you even watching? Like football's not even on, dude. Like what are you doing? But I I was just, I was popping off at every single moment and it just felt like that surge and that rush and that like experiencing this was, was really, really cool. So shout out to all the Fnatic fans. Shout out to all the Europe fans who cheered for Fnatic because I think that like that 
even though we didn't get to be together in a stadium, I feel like y'all know if like if you really like love watching European teams succeed, you know what I'm talking about when you talk about this feeling of like warmth, this rush of joy, this like I was like me and me and my girlfriend were like pissed at each other for the rest of the day because we'd been on this emotional roller coaster all day and we'd gone from like high highs to low lows. So we were both just like emotionally exhausted from watching this series to the point where we were totally just apt. I was kind of a dick. Um, and so if you if you went through that same like emotional journey, shout out to you because like this was this was really cool. Ultimately, yes, very disappointing, but uh, I'm really glad that Fnatic got to show up in the way that they did, and this got to be even though disappointing. I'll say it again. Um, it's crazy. A, a really cool moment, I think, in EU history still. Maybe I've just done too much globe trotting, but I haven't gotten to experience like that in so long. Like watching mm. the series when uh, Fnatic would, the thing that just made me proud was when Reckless and Hilly just absolutely blasted bot lane. I was like, oh my God. Don't you dare talk bad about my Bulgarian yeah, boy. Yeah, I, I was again. like, don't you talk shit on Hillisang, baby. Oh. How many times it come up heads? As many times as he wants it to. Sit down, you Yuanja. Like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, Set doesn't have that much health. Hex flash again. Hex flash again. He didn't get any sums. He's, you're right where he wants you. But at the same time, the, the thing that actually just like the the that tilts me, I guess, I think there's like an assumption that like I get personally hurt, or I think there's an assumption for all of us that we're like personally offended when our teams lose or win. Mm -hmm. But that's not what personally offends me. What just tilts me is when just like just toxicity fans just like seep into everything, and they're just like, mur, 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 mur. And I'm like, yeah, great hindsight analysis, like. Yeah, Who are you? What I've said it before on the show, <laughs> and obviously, like I think that like the thing about worlds for people wondering as a commentator is that this year especially is like feels super vitriolic. So if we talk this about it a lot, is so vitriolic. This if we talk about it a lot, it's because we're getting it a lot and we're experiencing a lot. And I know that not everyone loves hearing about it, but I, I've said this before. If you come in and you're one of those people who just combs through the Twitter feed and types in, well, that didn't age well. I'm like, oh my God, good on you. Like whatever lonely, depressing existence you're living right now, I hope that that brings you a soft light in your otherwise <laughs> miserable life. Like, my God, just have fun. If you want to come in and be like, woo, guess you were wrong, SKT forever, that's cool. But if you like want to come in and be like snide and douchey about it, like <laughs> analyst kick W, nice job, nice prediction. Like, Nice job, Captain Hindsight. You're great. You're doing really good. <laughs> and people always get like, the, they always get uh, tired of hearing at it. And the statement that we see all the time is like, just disengage, just disconnect. Just disconnect. To which then We're I like- We're literally paid to connect, by the way. I, Fun fact. I finally had to say to my girlfriend, and thank God Ender was also there because we were having like a conversation. Because obviously there's a bunch of toxicity that's happening right now. You guys could probably talk here about the incident that we're discussing or alluding to. Um, it's like, unless- you know what, I'll actually just say this as it is. Unless you have 100,000 followers on X uh, platform or yep. you can get, uh, you know, spammed at by thousands of messages, uh, shut the fiddlesticks up. You have no idea what it's like. You have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea. You want to sit through and go through it? Like, that's fine. Like, shut up. <laughs> I don't care about your opinion. Your opinion's wrong. You have no idea what it's like. Shut and up. I <laughs> And to be clear here, it's like, if you're a fan and you want to share your opinion, I think that's fine. It's when it strays into toxicity that I really draw issue with it. And I think that the thing is... And it is strays like, into toxicity immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, the thing is, again, it's like, I will say I really appreciate there's so many people who send good messages to me, to the players. And you guys really, like, seriously, shout out to you if you send players really good messages after games. Because no matter what the player looks like in an interview, like, 
our boys are professionals. You always see guys, you know, even the, even the rookies are well media trained enough to sit there and be like, yeah, it sucks, but you know, we'll be fine in the future. And then they're going to go home and be fucking sad for the rest of the night. The amount of time that I've seen players uh, cry backstage yeah. is like astronomical. <laughs> that yeah. shit. So my, my point is, is like, if you want to, if you want to be toxic, you're just going to get blocked. And that's just like what it is. But I will say that like, if you want to experience empathy, it's not about having a hundred K followers to me. It's like, if you have never produced any body of work on your own, I just think the volume of it and is put out into the public. So oppressive. Something that is yours and that is yourself, whether it be music or art or anything creative or an opinion piece to be open for criticism. Um, then I don't think you can really empathize. And I think that sucks because it means that people aren't going to really understand that, but it is what it is, and frankly, it's just going to keep going, and it makes me sad. But my last request, my last request will be, just be good to people. Just don't be a dick. This is that simple. And uh, you know, obviously, there's always going to be lines. We like to trash talk. We like to flame a little bit, and you can too. But there's uh, there's lines, and you. you gotta, there's a very big difference. You got to feel those out for yourself. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, we're can't we're going to continue to get sidetracked into that because it's just so much right now. But. The other thing that we need to do is talk about G2. Because today, G2 absolutely blessed. I wasn't even nervous about it. I was the slightest... Was I nervous? I feel like right now that I was never nervous, but I think that that's a bunch of crap. I think that I was definitely nervous. I think that I'm always nervous. Because I, I, we've said this, right? I'm I'm the helicopter parent, and you're like the, they're going to be fine. <laughs> Let the kids play with the exposed wires. They'll figure it out for themselves. And I'm like, please, sweetie, sweetie, we don't touch that. Like, get away. You know what I mean? Like, um, so, yeah, I'm always a little bit nervous. I, I, it doesn't stop me from cheering any harder. But, uh, yeah, G2, oh, my God, bodied Gen G, mid-diffed on BDD. It was a brutal series, but at the same time, like, yeah, G2, even though they ran it a few times, still looked, ooh. Absolutely fantastic. I feel for Ruler. I feel especially hard for Deft. I'm a huge Deft fan. Um, oh, yeah. I thought that was like fiddlesticksing heartbreaking. If you guys don't know Deft's storyline, he's been around forever. Um, his support... Referencing the DRX Dan one series, by the way, if you're not if you're not keeping up. His support came to him and was like, I will help you lift the cup. He has to go into military service uh, soon. He's delaying it. Yeah. So it's oh. kind of, I talked to Ashley Kang about it and she's like, it's a little bit of a taboo, so don't get into it too much. And so I won't out of respect to the culture. But basically like Deft is at the point where there's a lot of criticism going to him saying that he's getting too old. And while he can continue to delay service... Like at some point he's gonna have to do it, right? And that and that's kind of this thing looming over his head, and he's got all the public criticism of you're getting too old, and people are gonna watch that series, and they're gonna see again. Remember, I said that game one, he literally threw that game one, and right? And then, you want to talk no, about no. toxicity? Like, oh man, Ugh, it's brutal. It is brutal. And can you imagine if you're like you feel like you're running out of time? It's like right there within your grasp. Then you get oh sixed by the same team. Uh, I feel. Uh, Probably yep. one of the greatest players to never win a world championship. Like, it's yep. a it's now a, a pretty sizable list at this point. But Def's name actually literally goes on that he is so ridiculously talented, and he's been in form for so long. He's played multiple different styles. He used to not be known for his lane dominance, and he went to the LPL. He brought that back over to the LCK. So, I don't know. I uh, I have a lot of respect for eighty carries. 
uh, ruler and deft really impressed me, and I just I feel for him. Yeah, and I think in a world where a lot of Korea isn't like the Danwon gamings of the world and aren't maybe necessarily willing to play as explosively, shout out to you both the DRX and Genji bottom lanes for having really creative, really innovative supports who are willing to make plays, who are willing to take risks, and two super iconic AD carry players. Ruler, obviously a former world champion trying to get back there, and Deft, a guy who, as you said, is, has never won. And it's as much as we are the Euphoria podcast, I'm also sad to see a lot of these household names um, duck out of the tournament, especially because it could have meant an easier semifinal for G2, but also because, you know, they have good stories and you want to see people uh, be happy. But to go back, um, if you didn't watch the first episode that we did with this with Mac, I think Mac, like, has a really realistic and a really humbling and also sad take on this whole Wait, thing. time out. What? Since we're going to get into Mac, and this is an Euphoria podcast, did you hear those rumors where Arome is getting replaced by Arma? No, I did. I saw that thread. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, this is not a confirmation of that. I am literally just reading the same thread that you guys are reading. But WTF, mate. Like, you're you're such a derailer. I I love you, but you're such a derailer. What does this have to do with any... Do you guys even know what quote I was going to bring up? No, because I'm I'm actually just like, now I'm actually just tilted. Because I'm like, oh, nice two-year plan. Was that part of the two-year plan where you're like, yes, we're going to take these rookies. We're going to foster them. We're going to build them up. And he's like, uh, 180, replace him with the guy that... It's not one, it's not always his choice. And two, we've been here before with the old Hansama Woolite debacle. And uh, all I'll say is, you know this. And you do this to orgs, and I love that you do it, but you also put them in this catch-22 because you know they can't say anything. Yeah, which is why I'm going to call them out. Because <laughs> what is he going to say? Arome wasn't good enough. And obviously, this is all still speculation. Arome could That's stay fine. Year. I don't mind if you're just like, this is a cut. Like, if they came out like, this is a cutthroat industry, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to play the best. Like, that's fine. Yep. Do that. But if you're like, we're a family. It's about the Tira plan. We really believe about building up these rookies. And then at the very first instance that they fall at the hurdle, you're like, listen, guys, we just made Worlds on our first run. Uh, we made playoffs both times. We made top four one of these times. Uh, it's time to kill some people. And you just start you're, cutting them. Oh, my God. You're popping off today. All right. I We'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll get the interview back. Look, listen, all I'll say is... <laughs> We're going to have at some point, probably not, we'll do some kind of off-season content, whether it be this or something else. And we'll talk more about rumors and actual confirmations because this off-season is going to be nuts. There's I've, a lot of contracts running out. i heard the arms race. There is an arms race. <laughs> there are some premier players lining up to get picked up. So that's a preview for what's to come for off-season content and off-season roster changes. That said, the part of the Matt quote that I wanted to bring had nothing to do with the Mad Lions atmosphere, but had to do with this. No matter where you go, in your journey in League of Legends, one team gets to end the year happy. Yes. Otherwise, there are just different degrees of disappointment. And I think I now really excellent, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but really excellent thing to point out. Kind of heartbreaking shows how brutal this career can be. Obviously, they, you know, they make pretty good money. So it's not like the, you know, it's not the most brutal, but it's still like in the end of the day, it's going to end with heartbreak. And so for for these teams, Genji, DRX, Fnatic, uh, JDG, it does end with heartbreak. That said... G2, a good day, a day to celebrate. And before this show started, I got to sit down only for 10 minutes. We were tight on time today, but I got to talk to Perks for 10 minutes. And he, How confident? You're going to see. Let's see. Because me, do the, do the, here, I'm going to toss myself. Roll the interview. We're now standing by with Dracos, <laughs> who's about to give a great interview. Okay, me, take it away. 
thanks, me. Uh, welcome to the interview with Luca. Luca, first off, congrats on the win. Um, I want to know what was the biggest shift for G2 Esports between group stage and quarterfinals? Because it looked like a huge improvement in the team in terms of how you're playing together as a team, how you read the meta. Yankos was winning in jungle CS. Overall, it felt like a big upgrade to me. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. Well, we did actually work quite a bit to uh, make this happen. We have like our little homeworks we do. We present to each other um, our um, games and games of our opponents, and then we study them, and then we see what we can do better. And obviously, shows on stage. I don't think our games are like anywhere near perfection. We do make a lot of mistakes, but I think that's like the kind of the joy of G2 Esports, I guess. Like we <laughs> we like to have our games messy. We usually tend to play better from behind. Like the first game, we were behind. We just played much cleaner than the, any other game because we were behind. So <laughs> we can't we can't afford to make mistakes. But when we're ahead, we we are really pushing how much how many mistakes can we actually make until we lose. Uh, but pretty good. We are pretty good right now at like not losing. So it's it's not bad, yeah. Yeah, definitely some moments where I saw you guys were uh, playing at the edge, especially Rasmus in, in mid lane. Uh, definitely tryharding for his life in some of those plays, maybe taking a few too many risks. But overall, when we look at the quarterfinal teams, um, I want to be really excited about the fact that you guys just 3-0'd an LCK team and you made it look easy. But I think on paper, Genji looked like one of the weakest teams in the top eight. So I want to know, like, how, how much does this victory actually mean? Should we be super confident for G2 heading into the Danwon best of five that, like, they're just another Korean, a Korean team that you can take down, that it's going to be no problem? Or do you feel like Danwon Gaming is going to be a cut above? Uh, I mean, Danwon is, like, for sure a level above Genji. I would say they are closer to our level than Genji is. And... Uh, they are harder to play against. I also think the reason why Genji is one of the worst teams in quarterfinal, or like perceived as one of the worst teams in quarterfinal, is they don't have like a dead grade of a mid laner compared to let's say like the top four right now. Like there is Cuffs, Showmaker, Knight, Knight, and there is Angel who is like not bad as well, right? So there's like the four winners are arguably like better than BDD as well. So like usually, in, I feel like mid jungle is like really important. So how you play together is very very important and um, yeah, I think we do that really well right now, playing Mijano together, we communicate a lot and I don't think it should be like a, too big of a problem against Damwon as well. I mean, they're for sure better than Genji though. How much of your confidence for beating Damwon comes from the series that you guys played against them last year? Do you feel like uh, last year a lot of people talked about it at like Damwon choking, that it was the stage pressure. Do you feel like you're going to see any of the same things in your series? Obviously, there's no crowds this time around. Can we expect like a 3-1 or is this another series where it's going to be super close? You guys are much better matched individually from what it sounds like. What do you actually expect for that series? Um, I mean, I watched Damwon play and they were not that impressive to me. Uh, it felt like uh, when Damwon and Griffin meet, uh, they're both kind of choking. I mean, Damon is obviously a level above them, and <laughs> they they both can't choke that hard, you know? <laughs> like, one of them has to win. And Damon has, like, a really good record against DRX as well mm -hmm. in LCK. So, I mean, you could kind of see that this game was... That series was never going to go any other way uh, than Damon smashing DRX. Unless DRX have, like, really, really big time. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, honestly. Damon both is better than they were last year. But they are also, they should be worse than Ruler and Life. I mean, I don't think Ruler and Life played that great of roles, but from playing against Ruler, he was definitely like a good opponent. Like he was a very good AD carry. Uh, and I think Ghost actually surprisingly plays really well. Mm -hmm. I think he's one of the 
uh, most more underrated ones at this tournament. But I do think that me making performances do right now is should be better than theirs. And I do feel like we're probably the best out of the other bottlers left as well. So I have a lot of confidence in uh, my team and I also have a lot of confidence in us as a duo. Uh, like we kind of have the meta figured out, I feel like. And there's still like some things to uh, explore, invent, or how you like maybe bring into meta. So I'm, I'm feeling like so much more hopeful than last year. I think last year was like a fluke. And this year, like we have like a legitimate chance of winning the whole thing. And last year we were just kind of like running through it. I think now we are much more solid <laughs> in the meta and we are, yeah, just uh, all better, I think. Honestly, I can't help but like breathe a sigh of relief because for a lot of the time when we were switching over to this like more carry jungle meta, it felt like you guys were always playing catch up. So to hear that you're comfortable in the meta, to hear that you're confident in the team, to hear that last year wasn't a fluke when last year looked so good and that this year is going to be better even when the competition still looks super scary feels... Well, not, not MSI, but Worlds. Worlds, yeah. 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 Not, like MSI was not a fluke. We were like for sure the best team in the world of MSI, but mm -hmm. in the Worlds meta, we were like kind of not there uh, everywhere. Uh, we were really relying on, like, on Zaya Kaisa only, basically, <laughs> like from the whole team as yeah. well. Like we were like relying, if I get Zaya Kaisa, we will do really well. And now it's like we have like so many picks on every role and we can contest prior picks. And so it was, yeah, it's, it just feels much, much more relieved for me as well to play. Like I feel like less pressure is on me to perform mm. and my team is doing really well. And yeah, I do agree. People were probably right. We were we were playing catch up up, up until some point, but I think already in roads in week in day two, like we did actually, we we're already there in the like we were already there then. I think it was just like kind of unlucky games against Sooning. like the first game we really ended into the bot, so it like just really threw the whole team around. I feel like because we like kind of just ran it down with our picks and our play, and then after that it was like not very easy to just come back from that as well. Like we kind of just like smash the next game, you know. So I think. Uh, now we are just like we have caught up with everything and we can build onto that so that's yeah, that, that's like the part that feels really good yeah yeah and it looks certainly looks good i've got kind of a, uh, a less like direct to the tournament question more of like a bigger philosophical question for you in the past like going way back right we talked about in the era where g2 was really dominant the first time around korea were like the boogeymen and like you didn't beat korea and a lot of players came into games with mental blocks against korean players and like just couldn't perform, right? And obviously in this version of G2, you guys have proven consistently that Korea is very beatable. And my question is, that's one mental block. That's one ceiling that it feels like Europe has overcome. But when we look at the LPL and, you know, the back-to-back -back 03 finals, one from Fnatic, one from you guys at Worlds, it's starting to feel to me as an outsider, like the next big mental block, the next big ceiling for Europe to break through is beating an LPL team in a best of five, beating an LPL team in a world final. Do you feel that too? Do you feel like that kind of pressure? Because it's something that's memed about. It's something that people joke about. Like it's this inevitability. What are your thoughts on, on facing the LPL and actually beating the LPL in a best of five? No, I don't really care about that. I mean, I think the only thing is that they are like stronger. I would like personally say they're, they're like stronger. Uh, they were stronger last year at least. I don't know if they're stronger this year. Like personally, I think Damon is probably the best team in the tournament. Uh, together with Tess, as we can see, like Tess didn't actually just like tilt and get three odds. They actually have the, the strength to recover as well and to adapt and draft very well. So I think we'll probably meet Tess in the finals. Even though I have to give like a really good shout out to Suning. I think they're pretty good. Uh, I think Sofoma and SFM and 
Sorted are playing really well, and same with Eric Curry. So I think they have like a decent shot, I guess, but I still expect Tess to win. So basically to the point, I think LPL is really beatable this year. And I think last year it was very high chance there was some kind of mental block as well. Because if we have if he gets stuck like to our style and I don't wanna shame cops, but if he just didn't play like Pike mid and Chistana and shit, I think we had like a really good chance. Like it's not even his fault, like we all like, kind of agreed to that, you know. We had like a really good chance of beating them even last year. Like we like like how we won against SKT, you know, we could have won the same way against FPX. Like, who honestly, they didn't do much better than SKT in the early game as well. They were just doing the same thing as SKT. We were just having bad, worse late game. But against SKT, we had like shit early game, but we had better late game. So if we at least had like a better late game in any of the games, like of we played against FPX, we would have maybe won that series as well. Because like, we are just really good at late game. But um, early game was a really struggle. And this is like where now our early game is actually pretty good. And we do pretty well in the early game. And we are. We have good plan and we play well, so it should be much easier this year than it was last year. We were playing like basically like with a broken leg the whole time, mm. just trying to recover in the game. And now we are their uh, runners. <laughs> Honestly, Luca, I love to hear it. That's all the time I've got to talk to you today, but thanks again for taking a few minutes aside to come and chat with us here at Euphoria. Um, as an EU fan, man, it just. It's so exciting to hear about you talk about this with confidence when everyone else in the world just wants to meme about the inevitability of an 0-3 final. So thanks again, man, and good luck next week versus Don Juan. You're, you're doing EU proud right now. Awesome series versus Genji. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Back to me. Thank me. I'm welcome. Anyway, as we saw from that startlingly handsome interviewer, Perks had a lot to say. Frosco, what do you think about the things that Perks had to say? Your confidence was high. Um, I have a little bit of pushback. Okay, so here's the thing. It's like, great interviewer. Amazing skills. <laughs> very solid questions. But at the end of the day, it's not like you can, you know, you can't say, you can't say anything other than the responses that Perks gave. And I am glad that there's candidness. Like, there's still meat to that interview. But it's not like Perks can come out and be like, you know, I think we have some champion pool issues and I think our early games may be a little unstable and I think X, Y, you always have to be like, yeah, we're the best team. We're not afraid of anyone because True. they truly want to win. And I do respect that of G2. I don't think that G2's early game is as strong as he makes it out to be. Um, I mean, they had a good early game in groups, but even today they were getting outlaned multiple times and it was really like caps or skirmishes that turned things around. Yankos' Nidalee does not look as good as Kars' Nidalee, for an example. Better than it did, though. Better than it did, but is that good enough to win this tournament? Ooh, Canyon. And, mm, and that's the context that we're talking about. You know, it's not just a top four finish. Like, this isn't me saying, you know, Yankos is shit and G2 are shit team. G2 are a really good team. Yankos is a really good player. And you must have confidence when you're giving those answers. So no slight to, to perks. Um, but I'm not as sold. Like, G2 are solid, but I don't know if they're good enough right now to take it all home. Yeah. Frost, I'm going to be honest with you. At the time of recording that interview, I was living in the absolute confidence that Luca put the on the bask. table. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, this is kind of like... He, I feel like he's at this point where he is so ludicrously confident right now, and I'm glad that he's there. Yeah, he but needs to, to be. To, to reality check it a little bit, I, I don't think last year's finals was as simple as Caps just chill out a little bit. Like, a lot of those games ended at level one. It, that wasn't, no they one needed it. were so unprepared level ones, I would bog, yeah. ooh, boggled me. And like, look, I respect that right now he feels like he is confident enough that when he looks back on that, he feels like he has the agency to change that, but I I bet if we had asked him in week one of Worlds, 
he wouldn't have said that. I think it's he's right right now. I don't want to say he's just riding the high of a 3 series, but I think that like right now, I'm 100% sure that he feels like he's got a crystal clear grasp on everything that's going wrong that has gone wrong and what they need to do. And I want him to keep feeling like that. But at the same time, like it's good for us because it means that G2 are going to be playing. I have full faith in full form. Yep. But also the reality check to give for EU fans is as confident as Luca is, you should take it with a grain of salt. And I don't think it's... Obviously, like he's he can't he's not gonna sell his team out and be like we suck or yep. champion pool issues, right? But at the same time, I also don't think he BS us. I think he just ducked the question. He's good like that. Like you can tell our good pro players because if they don't want to answer a question, they don't lie to you. They just answer it differently. Like make up a question that you ask them, and they're like, you know, great question about champ pool. And the thing about a team environment is this: they'll just duck it and they'll just shift it to a different question because they're they're pros like that. And uh, I I hate it when they do that, but I do respect it. That's good interview skills. Um, so I feel like he is just really feeling good about the team right now. And I feel like that part that part is definitely genuine. So that is positive to me. They're playing from behind. He talked about that, and I fully agree with it. I yep. think G2's ability to read the map as individual P as individual pieces and then how they communicate that and then all execute together like their synergy and cross map plays. Um is what makes them such a formidable opponent. When you face G2, it is not over till it's over, baby. Yes, absolutely. Like they will find every opportunity because they just think about, you know, trade patterns differently. They think about uh, pressure differently. They have talented enough solo laners that they can skill check on a world-class level uh, and constantly play out the map. And like, this is G2's strength. This is why their team fighting is so good. This is why when they're playing 1-3-1 or 1-4, it's so good. And this is why... It feels like even when you have a ridiculous advantage in that TL game, that it's just a single team fight that G2 can flip it back for themselves because they see things that other teams don't and they go for things that other teams wouldn't dream to do. Yeah, and it's just, it's something that makes their game so exciting to watch. And obviously, like, the closest LCK equivalent in that sense is Damwon. And obviously, I don't think Damwon see as many opportunities, but they rarely give up. They're rarely behind in the early game either, so maybe they just have less opportunities to make such incredible comeback plays. But what I'll say is is, is kind of this, is that I really loved watching G2 3-0 today. Down 1-3-0-ing while expected, also a cool sign of strength. But I also feel like, I said in the interview and I'll say it here, those were the two weakest teams in the top eight, if I look at it. Like, maybe, maybe Fnatic is there too. Maybe. I don't know. The top esports series has me feeling optimistic. So if you're an LCK fan, you're like, oh, what about Fnatic? They also got knocked out. Or, oh, what about JDG? I'll just say that Gen G and DRX look like the teams with the clearest weak points coming to this with the most questionable performances. And so to me, I would put them seventh and eighth in the relative top eight. So both these teams getting 3-0'd by G2 and, and Dom1 makes me feel like neither of these quarterfinals are super meaningful for giving us a read on what to expect in semifinals in terms of individual performance levels because BDD got blasted. Perks talked about how good Ruler was, but also said that Ruler wasn't having a very good tournament. You know what I mean? So it's like how much of the success that we saw from both of those teams is them punching down versus is like them really showcasing their their strengths. I think the concern that I have for Damwon versus uh, G2 is the team fighting from both teams. And I just think that Damwon are, they're so good at it. They're so talented. Nuguri, especially. Um, I think Ender's called on the best team fighting top laner. Like, mm. I think that's what's going to be explosive and what we'll decide. And I'm still not confident to say that G2 win that series. I think on my pickums, I have uh, Damwon versus top in my final. Um, but I. I will never believe that G2 will get 3-0'd. I don't think that's possible. I think that they are good enough that they will always at least get a game. 
but yeah. I am not as confident on them winning the series. Although I do think it's possible. Like I think it's it's like a solid like 50-50, like whatever you want. To, I wouldn't be surprised. It's and I, close, yeah. And I know that that like people hate when you give that answer, but it's like what will happen in this series if we're on the other side of a G two victory? It's because caps absolutely popped off people always talk about like craps versus claps and it's like craps hasn't existed for a long time that's why g2 are so dangerous this year is because caps has the consistency to constantly be performing he performed all summer long that's yep. why he got the mvp over larson he's now performing at this world tournament you saw he just gapped mid this series and what i feel like is a tournament that actually doesn't really set up your mid laner to be as uh as standout as that like mid lane will always be important but as we see on the other side of the bracket mid lane is being used to facilitate the jungle and so maybe we have two different um metas kind of clashing here exactly but i personally think that and maybe i'm just being biased to the lpl my personal opinion is is that there is higher level of league of legends that's actually being played on the other side of the bracket right now mm. and maybe i'm uh deluded into that because of like you're saying the punching down in the quarterfinals i wasn't impressed with genji i wasn't impressed at all with drx and maybe I changed my mind when it comes to um, Damwon versus G2. And I know people get annoyed. I can't I can't say it the way it's supposed to be Dom said. Damwon? Dom, I can't say Damwon it. Damwon or Damwon. This is a long ah. So I apologize. I try to say Nuguri correctly, but I don't say... Is it Nuguri? Is it Nagari? Well, it's funny. It, ah. I've heard from uh, Korean speakers that it's supposed to be like Nuguri or Nuguri, like that. But the LCK... Yeah, English Phil, our producer, Korean just nodded gave us the nod yeah but the obviously the lck english broadcast has decided that they will say nagari so i am i'm aware yeah. of that consistency is important for anyone who listened to our <laughs> sofm versus sofm cast where over the course of the day we got multiple different chains of feedback and you could see us just all over the place for pronunciation and the thing is is uh, i apologize i pronounce things and how I usually it was because I would talk to lpl or the lck players that came over into the lpl and so i would listen to them talking about players so when i hear people talk about sofm when i was first casting sofm and went over to the lpl the players and the casters say sofm and it's obviously like a chinese uh, mandarin it's thing. it's a difference yeah because yeah. it's harder to say sofm so you don't have the the same letter sounds right yeah and it's it's also a thing with uh uh uzi obviously now the western audience wants to call him uzi uzi but for the longest time, it was just like a reflex and I had to like think about it. And now Uzi it's much I. easier, but like... Yeah. We, what was it? The final deciding factor? Because Kobe was like, Uzi like the gun, bang, bang. And Uzi was like, yes. And we're like, thank you. <laughs> that's all we needed. Because people, you can be like, Uzi. And they're like, yes, Uzi I. And that's just going to be a language gap, right? And that's always going to be the struggle. So I apologize. I will probably always say Nuguri. Nuguri. Because that's how I heard duke say his name we'll be consistent as a team that's what i promise yes. you i promise when we cast together we won't have another s sofa but this is guys as long as you will watch <laughs> league of legends this will be the problem there will always be at least once a year a pronunciation snafu and so brace yourself sofm does like how sofm sounds better and he's always like that. But yep. I also think that's... Wasn't Levi Levy until he heard people say <laughs> Levi? Levi and he's, and he's like, like, that sounds pretty dope. I like that one more. God damn it. <laughs> Reckles. Reckles. If he likes... If Martin Larson likes Reckles better, we're swapping to Reckles, people. That's all I'm saying. What was it? Whippo versus Whippo? Yeah, Whippo versus Whippo. <laughs> it's a start. The B is silent. The B is... Whippo, guys. Whippo. So, but if I say Sofum, I'm sorry. It's a reflex. I've casted that guy since like... Any... <laughs> 2015 <laughs> anyway so still i think i think let's i kind of want to 
what wrap, we're talking about? Wrap up thoughts on, on Dom 1 versus G2 and then talk about the other semifinal before we before we wrap the episode uh, for the day. Right. So I think you, you were talking about what does a victory look like? And it looks like Clap showing up as he has, but in, in an even bigger way, it sounds like. I think Nuguri versus Wonder is going to be matchup dependent and also who has more agency in team fights specifically. Um, I do think that G2 can play a map better, but I think that Damwon played team fights better. I think it's close, but I think that Damwon are the best team fighting team of the tournament so far. Yeah. Um, I think Canyon, in my opinion, is p- a pretty strong lead over Yankos, especially because he can play and look more confident on the champions that I think are powerful right now. Um, mid lane, I think it's the same thing with top. It's probably champion dependent on who's actually given more agency. I don't want to see any of these Predator Galios running around anymore. Like, we have too many talented mid laners, like, let's see him flex and then <laughs> ghost and barrel Ooh, i think this is the problem is that you're not ever going to get a uu wanja level performance from a bot lane for the rest of the- sorry you Wanja, you're just the you're uh, it's fortunate that you probably aren't watching this podcast i'm sorry we're gonna bash on you but you had you had a horrible series my dude but we're not going to get that level of like running it down probably again in this tournament and at that point it's like i think mickey's more flexible than barrel sure Barrel plays engage particularly well. He's a great playmaker. Yep. Uh, Ghost is a, a really good guy where you don't have to put him many resources. And he's kind of like, as soon as you n- put the dominoes up, like Ghost will do his duty and like push it over. Whereas I think Perks tries maybe a bit too hard to win or to kill his opponent, not necessarily just win lane. You know what I mean? Like, and that can leave him exposed. So I think that Ghost and Barrel are more stable, but I do think that Perks and Mickey are more flexible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I can't say that I have the, the intimate knowledge of Ghost and Barrel necessary to contest that, but I definitely, like, my read on it from what I've seen is that, like, I will believe and I'll hold on to the idea that Perks probably has higher highs and that Mickey probably has higher highs, but that I I do also believe that Barrel and Ghost are probably a more stable bot lane. I just think you know what you're going to get with them mm. pretty much every single time, and I think you can get really big uh, volatility from Perks and Mickey. Sure. And I think... Again, it's like the creativity that Mickey can bring and the depth of his champion pool and then how well he's executing on it. And then if you get Beryl the right champions, I think Beryl is just, he's a superstar sometimes. Like some of those engagers, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is out of his mind. Uh, Probably one of the best Alistair players in the world. So fun, excuse me, fiddlesticks and fun (laughs) to watch on that champion. Yeah, Perks got a few and it's all good. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hyped for this one i really like the confidence coming in from perks it makes me really optimistic about that especially what he said about like not being really scared he thinks dom one are like the big the big team to beat in the tournament so if you're a european fan and we we are on the other side of a g2 victory like this is probably the most optimism you can have coming into an lpl final that you've ever had because there was that year where the solo laners made it literally impossible for us to win the shy and rookie there was that year where we lost at level one for like two and a half games. I don't know. I think that pro players get the wrong read about LPL teams because those teams, at least in my experience, and I haven't watched scrims and LPL teams in a couple of years, but in my experience, it's been a bit of a clown show. They kind of like, they throw their bodies into scrims and the thing is, is that if you if you take scrims as like an indication to what's going to happen on stage, you're going to get a very, you're going to get 3-0 in a final. And I'm not saying that that's absolutely what, uh, you know, G2 or Fnatic were thinking when that happened to them. But like, I don't know. I just think that LPL teams are a bit of a different animal. People looking like, yeah, but if you just outplay that, like you can flip it there. I don't think that they're that. You got to do it though. You got to do it. They're so good. It's like to to hang with the LCK teams, you must like learn League of Legends to like 
a fundamental enough level. Because like you, we were talking about earlier. Yeah, they, they wrote the book. They wrote basically. the book. Uh, to hang with the LPL players, you got to be able to press the buttons. You got to be ready to, to get down and dirty with yeah, it. Yeah, it's fight club versus chess club. You know what I mean? Like, you got to be ready. They both, they can both go to either club. It's just that some of them live in the fight club and some of them live in the chess club. And then there's like, obviously the individual nuance to, to either team. But I just, if any team can do it, it should be G2 because there's just so much talent stacked on that roster. But I do not think that uh, that top and now Sooning should be taken so lightly. I think Sooning are more fallible because they're uh, they haven't really figured out all of the rules in the rule book yet. They There's, don't know. They're all still the rules. a little bit like <laughs> still very good at Fight Club or Jungle Club as SOFM prefers. Yeah, I, this is what I'll say is I'm I'm believing in G2. We'll find out. Maybe I'm casting the G2 series and then I'll have to be like, go either way. Oh, that's right. Do we get Who to knows? cast a semi? Do you know? I don't know what we're casting. We'll find out. I don't soon. even know if I'm casting a semi. I don't know if we're casting anything. We'll find out. Hopefully we get to cast something. We'll keep you informed if you're watching at home. But that's our other one that we need to talk about because as cool as this one is, and as much as I'm hoping that G2 win, we have another another semi to see who will face G2 in the finals. Ha <laughs> ha. Or who will face Dom Juan. We'll have to find out. But that is, of course, um, Top Esports versus Sooning. And... This matchup is my favorite because if you are not an LMS fan, that's okay. I get it. Like they were kind of like the edgelordly. Like LCK was for the pretentious people and LMS was, let's be honest, we were kind of the weird ones if you were an English-speaking fan watching the LMS. But two of the biggest names in the LMS of all time, Flash Wolves legends, both of them, Carson and Sword Art, going head-to-head, is the coolest story ever. And regardless of who wins that final... I am actually so excited to watch those two guys duke it out. It's huge for Carsa. It's huge for Sword Art. One of these guys is going to be in a world final. One of them could very well take the trophy. And uh, Phil, do the do the thing. Make the thing. It's to me, if you don't know these players, it's Young versus Yasuo. It's brother versus brother. It's like someone's got to go down in the end. I, I, the betrayal's not really here. You could say like Carsa left first technically. So if you like really want to get into that, like maybe you could force that narrative. I'm not trying to force that narrative. But if you're a Western fan, you don't know these guys. It's Young versus Yasuo. It's Yom, it is brother v brother. It is Draven versus Darius. Only one man can leave this pit, and I am, I am here for it. I'm I, ready. I'm really ready for the Sooning Ascension. Yeah, I would love to see it happen. Huang Fong has the greatest story in esports right now. Huang Fong and Sordar, I think, are the better bot lane. Uh, Jackie Love's laning phase with uh, his new support has kind of been a pain point all year long. So SOFM. Ooh, got him. I got him. I think his style is. Uh, better suited for this meta than I think it's ever been before. But now it's about can Angel and Ben meet up tonight and 369. And the top ma- matchup I'm not so like disappointed about. I thought that Zoom was actually better than Ben on the day. Like mm. so impressive. But Yigao took like a pretty big shit in the mid lane. Uh, just like the Zoe game was good. He rolled in it and then he just disappeared and no one saw him and then Angel was like, I guess I get Zoe every game. But the thing was is I thought it was going to be a 3-0 as soon as I saw JDG win the first game because I'm like, oh no, it's happening to Sunni again. Everyone, gal, don't miss. <laughs> everyone knows how to play against them. You just make sure that you can contest uh, SOFM because you know what he's going to do. He's very predictable. Blah, 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 blah. And so like, I would love to see Sooning just their trajectory continue. They like SOFM in his first ever worlds. This Vietnamese prodigy rises to the world final and it just has like a god tier year. I just have a feeling that uh, Top are going to be cackling all the way and they're like, you want to flip? Let's flip. So TLDR. Yeah. Your heart for me says G2, but head right now, guys, still in the down one camp. Canyon might be a bridge too far. 
I think, for G2 to yep. overcome is what it ultimately comes down to. Maybe we see some overperformances on the day, but you look at that lineup, it might, maybe we finally found a lineup just too individually stacked for G2 to uh, I think if G2 win, it's because there's a lot of early skirmishes where Caps and Wonder get the better of their opponents, and then Mickey gets unlocked to roam around and to assist with Yankos. I think if Damwon win, it's a stabilized game where Canyon is just reading and punishing Yankos like a book um, with the help mm. of his laners, and mm. then it's pretty stabilized going into team fights, and Nuguri runs rampant on Cannon. Don't say cannon. That's a band. No cannons, no Aatrox, no big abilities hitting multiple people at the same time. Top laners are banned oh, from participating already, in team fights. I already know what's going to happen. They'll go to game five, and then it'll be a big team fight around Elder, and then G2 Whatever will be top lane champion is getting and played. Here comes Smith we'll like, Jr. It's Scion. There's no way he can do this. He'll hit a five man alt and do a five man Q, and what you is go ghost play. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. With the Scion. Cowards! He just. Kill runs through literally all of G2 as Scion. That's our nightmare. All of Europe goes, ooh! Oh, we're going to feel it. <laughs> Prepare for the worst, Europe, so that we can be excited when anything else happens. <laughs> we'll see. I'm, I'm keeping my heart with G2. I believe in the boys. I think that they could bring it home. On the opposite side of the bracket, we're just going to have to see who comes out on top. I believe top is the better team, but I want Suning to win so badly. I'm the biggest Suning fan now. If you haven't read it, again, uh, I believe the boy by the ocean, Linda Eye Crystallization on Twitter. It's been out. Maybe we'll retweet it as well. Um, there's a translation of, I believe, an originally Chinese article that talks about the history of Huan Fong. If you have not read it, it is a great story. And if you're like, bro, I don't care about the semifinal. Just tell me who's going to play G2 in the finals. You should, because it is still cool. And this is still going to be a super bang and hype final. And it's also research to see who will face G2 in the finals. And oh, I do oh, love oh. that meme that people are posting on social media, but they're like, wow, I've just heard a loud bang behind me. And was Huang Fong setting up so he could get a better <laughs> view? Sorry, I really want to focus, but I just heard of Huang Fong. Yeah, I had a lot of more inappropriate jokes than that. Um, it was a great, it was a great gin ultimate. And uh, we'll remember it for a long time. Reminder. Don't forget about Reckless and Hillsang. They absolutely bought Gap Jackie Love. And we're going to hold on to that for a while, EU fans. And hopefully it's not the only thing we have to hold on to. And hopefully G2 will get another finals. And hopefully this time it's not an 3 We're doing a lot of hope in here. So put your fingers together. Cross them. Believe in it. And uh, send, again, reminder, send your favorite players messages. Let them know that you care, that you're excited about them. Because uh, they need it. They need. It. We all need to rally behind them. One final push, people. Let's let's win a world championship this year. Come on. Let's do it. Let's do it. You're no up. one's expecting it. It would be the nice time to do it. Boom. Boom. And then come back to China next year and do it again Boom. in front of the fans. The fans had to watch from home this time. Next time we invite them into the stadium to do it like that. That's what I believe in, EU fans. That's what I believe in. I believe our teams can bring it home. Thank you. This has been uh, Euphoria Worlds Episode 4. We'll be back next week after the semifinals, win or lose, to talk about the results, to look ahead to the world finals. And you can check our individual social medias to see what we're casting, what the plan is, if we've been kicked off the tournament in its entirety for <laughs> flaming too much, who knows, at Daniel Dracos, at Frost Let's um, go G2. Let's go G2. All right, later.